All right, good. All right, Revelation chapter number eight. Um, the it'll still be up on the screens for you um, if you need it. Revelation chapter number eight. And uh, we're going to start reading in verse number one. We are opening the seventh seal tonight, uh, which is the first five. Um, it's actually all the trumpets and all of the bowl um, judgments is seal uh, number seven. These are, these are happening consecutively, and that's important for you to know as we look at um, our passage of Scripture tonight. Chapter eight, verse number one, we're going to read the first six verses. And when he had opened the seventh seal... There was a silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them which were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with, or excuse me, which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with, the, with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were ver- voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven, seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. And so that kind of gives us an introduction to the first um, uh, of the trumpet judgments. All right, let's start right at the top of your outline and uh, we'll look at it together. After the first six seals were opened in chapter 6... There was an interlude in chapter 7 to seal the 144,000 and explain the innumerable white-robed multitude. And so uh, the last time that we met, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we opened that, that, that sixth seal, um, or excuse me, we opened up the, the interlude between the sixth seal and the seventh seal of the 144,000 that we, that we uh, uh, found out were from the 12 tribes. Uh, and uh, 12,000 from each tribe, which equals 144,000, and then the innumerable amount of people that were saved during the tribulation. And we talked about at that point that the people that, the majority of the people that would be saved during the tribulation are Jews. Uh, There will be some Gentiles saved, but according to scriptures, if you've heard the word of God, and the rapture happens and the tribulation begins, your eyes will be blinded and you will not be able to accept Christ as your Savior during the tribulation. The one anomaly there is that we are not sure um, about uh, those that have never heard the gospel that are on the earth, but we talked about that the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God and uh, his firmament showeth forth his handiwork. And so we've said that if someone desires to know God, that God will reveal himself to them. And so that, that kind of gives us the thought process of that innumerable multitude. Now the breaking of the seals continues with the final or the seventh seal. The opening of the seventh seal in chapter 8, verse number 1, introduces the seven trumpet, is the word you're looking for, trumpet judgments. It introduces the seven trumpet judgments. Everything, as we know, is done in sevens. Everything is done in sevens. The seven trumpets, this is very important, they do not follow the seventh seal. They are the seventh seal. So this is not like the seventh seal is open and then we wait and we wait and then the trumpets happen. 
That it is all part of it. They are the seven seals, along with the seven vials or bowls of judgment that follows the trumpets in chapter number 16. So all that's happening now with the seven trumpets, with the, uh, with the seven vials, with the seven bowls, they are all part of the seventh seal. They do not follow it. So I want you to put this in your mind for a moment. This is all happening consecutively. It's all happening at the same time. It, it, it's kind of like uh, an earthquake, or it's kind of like um, a wave. You know, the wave begins... And it's large, and then consecutive waves begin to happen. It's all happening because of the one wave. And that's the same thing with these judgments. Because the seventh seal is now open, everything catastrophically begins to happen. That is why, if you remember, we talked about it when we, when we made the break between chapter 6 and chapter number 7, that grace showed up on the scene again, where God sent the 144,000 and the innumerable multitude accepted Christ because the seventh seal was about to occur, and this seventh seal is going to bring utter destruction. It, it is literally going to, to, to be the moment of, of, of chaos and the moment of wiping out the earth uh, when the seventh seal is revealed, and now the seven trumpets. So the Great Tribulation is a trio of seven. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven vials of wrath. Uh, wrath excuse me. So the Great Tribulation is a trio of sevens. Why is sevens? What is seven? The perfect number, that's right, the perfect number. The seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials of wrath. In chapter 7, we found heaven filled with praise and worship of God. But at the opening of the seventh seal in chapter number 8, this, is, this has always been a very interesting thought to me. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. And in verse number 1, we found out that heaven became silent for how long? You know what's interesting to me? This, this is what blows my mind about this. And I don't really have an answer for it, but I just thought I'd bring it up anyways. Um, the Bible tells us that there is no time in heaven. A thousand years is as a day, right? But in this passage of Scripture, this is the only time when it comes to heaven that we find this. Where literally the Bible declares for us that time stood still for about a half an hour. Now, you say, Pastor, when you think about that, really, half an hour is not that long. How many of you have ever lost your power at home? You lost power completely, okay? The first two minutes after you've banged your head, your knee, and your shoulders trying to find a flashlight, you finally find the flashlight, and the first question you ask your husband is, did you pay the bill? <laughs> oh, maybe that's only me. Um, <laughs> And then after you realize the bill has been paid, and now you're looking around, you're trying to figure out why is the, the power out? And then we start looking at our phones, you know, and we say, oh, well, I guess there is a storm coming. And, oh, well, let me report this. And so you start reporting it, you know. And you get on the phone, and, you, and, and it's all that automated system, you know. And they tell you, thank you, but we have no idea when your power will be restored. <laughs> That's exciting. All right. Now, I have three children at home, and to them, a half hour is about like three days. You know, I mean, they get antsy. And so do we, to be honest. You know, we're sitting there, and it, all of a sudden we realize it's in our mind, though oh, it's getting hot in here. Oh, when's that power going to come back on? And then we go to the refrigerator, and you do what I do. I don't want anything to go to waste. Let's start making it. Here we go. You know, make sure all the juice is drank, and make sure all the Oreos are eaten. No. 
Oh. Um, make sure everything's taken care of, you know, because you're worried about it spoiling. But that literally, half hour is a lot longer than you think it is when you think about being in perfect silence. You know? Now, let me tell you what I think it's equated to. How many of you ever had surgery? Remember that surgery? You wake up five in the morning and you go to the hospital. They stick you and they said, well, when it's your turn, we'll be back. That span of time, you're anxious, you're sweaty, you're, you're not wanting the preacher to visit. And he shows up anyway, taking pictures. No. Um, you're wondering, when are they ever going to come? And finally, the nurse anesthetist walks in and says, it's time. And you're like, finally. And she gives you that shot, and then you start talking funny. Um, but literally, in this moment, I think that's what it's like. There'll be so much anxiety because all of heaven knows what's about to happen. I think the silence that is being experienced in this half hour is a silence of respect, first of all, a silence of fear, second of all, and then a silence of judgment because of what's about to happen. But it's always been very interesting to me, and I don't know why God put a half an hour in here, but he did. And uh, I, I just, I find that very interesting. So tonight, when you get home, turn everything off for a half hour. Complete silence, if you can do that. And you'll really feel like, it's only been five minutes, right? All the courses of the angels, the elders, and the innumerable multitude will cease. And heaven is in suspense and awe as they wait to see what will happen when the seventh seal is broken. Before the first of the seven angels mentioned in chapter 8 and verse number 2 blows the first trumpet, another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it up with the what? Prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. The altar was so close to God, the smoke from the incense representing the prayers of the saints rises up before God, chapter 8 and verse number 4. Indicating God, what? Hears. God hears them and is about to answer it. Now, what were the prayers of the saints? Do you remember? Revenge. That's right. The prayers of the saints were revenge. Who were the saints? Do you remember? The, 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 that God was talking about there under the altar. Those are the ones that were, were, were murdered or killed during the tribulation. And they asked God, how long? How long will you allow this to continue? And they were asking for revenge. They were asking for vengeance. And God told them to wait. You have to wait until all of the people that, that are going to be killed during the tribulation are brought up here. And now God finally in chapter number 8 is going to answer their prayer. In eight, chapter 8 verse number 5, the angel took this censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. This represents God's answer to the prayers of the saints in chapter 6 and verse number 10. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? I love that sound. I really do. 
That sound of everybody turning at the same time. Um, the incense and fire from the altar also represents the saints of the tribulation who are living on earth and who are praying, Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. According to verse 5, when the angel cast the fire from the altar on earth, there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake, the Bible says. Now as the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound, the most horrible part of the great tribulation begins. Number one, the first trumpet. The first trumpet. Let's look at it together. Chapter 8 and verse number 7. Chapter 8 and verse number 7. The first angel sounded... And there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. This is just the first one. The first four trumpet judgments alter the natural parts of creation. The land, salt water, the fresh water, and the heavenly bodies. At the sounding of the first trumpet, one-third of all the vegetation of the earth will be destroyed. So you think about that for a moment, and you think about one-third of all the farms, one-third of all the vegetation on the earth is going to be destroyed just in the matter of one trumpet blow, all, all of it destroyed. So now we begin to talk about what? Famine, that's right. Famine and starvation. Because now there will not be enough food to go around. They, they are now seeing uh, uh, literally their live, livelihood being taken away. Many of the judges described in the book of Revelation happened on a smaller scale in Egypt is the word. There's an interesting correlation that we'll see with these. During the ten plagues, the very first trumpet is very similar to the seventh plague God sent upon Egypt. God sent the seventh plague, which was this. Uh, Exodus chapter number 9, and Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail smote every what? Herb of the field, and break every tree of the field. It's very interesting to me how the correlation happens with the plagues and now with the great tribulation. In other words, may I remind you of something, that when God says he's going to send judgment, God is going to send judgment, right? There, there's nothing that we can do to stop it. Moses pled with Pharaoh many times. What did he say to Pharaoh? Let my people go. That's right, let my people go. And here we've been preaching for years. Uh, uh, accept Christ, accept Christ, accept Christ. And because people have rejected, just as Pharaoh rejected letting his people go, there are judgments. So there's the correlation. Again, we should mention that the judgments in Revelation may come by a natural source, such as a severe electrical or hailstorm, or through nuclear warfare. And we've talked about that. In the past. So that's the first trumpet. The second trumpet is number two. The second trumpet. Look at me in chapter eight, or excuse me, yeah, chapter eight, verse number eight. And the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became. Huh. Can you imagine? 
And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life, what did they do? They died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. God's very, uh, uh, very detailed here. So let's look what he says. He says, and it, uh, uh, it, was a great, it was as a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And a third part of the sea became blood. I, I just, I can't imagine that. How many of you like to, you enjoy going to the beach? You like going to beach vacations. There's a few of you. Can you imagine going to the beach and it's blood? I mean, think about that for a moment. You think about a third part of the sea becoming blood. And then a third part of the creatures which were in the sea, they died. Of course they would. They can't live in blood. So now, now we have a terrible instance happening. Uh, yesterday, I think it was, there was that, did anybody see that story about that huge whale that washed up on the shore? I think it was in South Carolina. It was huge. It was huge. And there was like all these people trying to get it back into the sea and it eventually uh, uh, passed away because it had been on the, the land for so long. And as I read the article, they said that because he'd been there so long, that the stench of him was terrible. Can you imagine, not only is it going to turn to blood, but can you imagine the stench that's going to be taking place? And then it says, and the third part of the creatures that were in the sea had life and died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. That's the one that kind of got me. I was, I was thinking, why, why the ships? Why, why, would, why would God destroy the ships? So let's talk about that in just a moment. At the sounding of the second trumpet, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood. This judgment parallels... The first of the ten plagues we found in Exodus chapter number seven. So here's the, here's the first of the ten plagues. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. They've experienced this before. And the fish that were in the river and the river. Huh, I love that word. Um, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. First we had famine, now what are we going to have? Dehydration. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. What appears to John to be a massive mountain burning with fire could have been, and I'm just throwing out possibilities to you, a giant burning meteorite or possibly a nuclear missile aimed at a fleet of enemy ships since the third part of the ships were destroyed. Again, whatever the cause, the result will be the destruction of one-third of the sea life, one-third of the ships of the sea, as well as one-third of the sea becoming blood. Now, I, I tried to evaluate my mind, and, and maybe you can give me some feedback here because I, I love hearing from you. Well, why do you think that God would destroy one-third of the ships? Give me any thoughts. I mean, just think about the ships of the world. Why would, why would God point those out? Good. There's a good thought. Import and exports. Uh, trying to move uh, uh, food. Trying to move equipment. Um, so God destroyed that. I heard somebody over here. Oh, you just said that. Okay, sorry. Um, uh, so the import and the export industry, that's, that's one. What would be another reason that God would destroy the ships? Good. Economy and the commerce. That's right. Uh, uh, a lot of the world is moved by ships. 
Uh, a lot of the things that we receive from foreign countries come by ships. Anything, anybody else? Get the attention of the, the navies of the world. Good. That's where my thought went. My thought went to battleships. And the fact that people would initially think what? That war is happening. Right? You think about things that are happening here. A third of, of things are being annihilated from the earth. Immediately, people would begin to think that war has happened. They're not sure who they're fighting against. But a war would begin to happen. And so my thought went to naval ships and the fact that God would begin to destroy those because they would, people would begin to fight against one another, which is going to happen anyways. Uh, but, but those enemy ships would be destroyed. And so the, the ecosystem, the uh, economy, uh, uh, certainly the trade and all those things that happen uh, by sea. And so a third of the ships of the sea are being destroyed. The effects of the sounding of the first and second trumpets along, uh, alone boggle our mind. But this is truly just the beginning. It truly is just the beginning. Number three. I know it's unpredictable. The third trumpet. <laughs> the third trumpet. Let's look at chapter number eight, verse number ten. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Because they were made bitter. So, one-third has turned to what? Blood. Now another third, we're getting close to the end here, two-thirds, is war... I can't even say that word, but we're going to let you read it. All right? Um, it's a worm and it's wood. Um, so that's, that's where it's at. So what does that mean? Well, at the sounding of this trumpet, there fell a great star from heaven that causes one-third of the fresh water to become bitter, and many died of the waters. The name of that star is war- Wormwood. That's terrible. I, know, I can't even say it fast once. Uh, referring to a bitter herb in the Near East and is often used in the Old Testament synonymously with bitterness, sorrow, and calamity. This word is not unique to the book of Revelation. Um, I, I wanted to do some research because I wanted to find out what this word actually meant and, and what it was used for. Um, and it, it is a bitter herb that was used in the Near East, um, and it was used for bitterness or sorrow or calamity. Uh, those are the kind of the three words. But they used it, this herb, they used it to cook with. Um, they also used it to uh, use it in, in uh, drinks. And so that's what this... Uh, uh, was used for. So it, it's not. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse number 15, the Bible says, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people with, there you go, and give them water of gall to drink. God was pretty upset. Lamentations, chapter 3, written by Jeremiah, he was lamenting. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. Right. Amos chapter number five. What's that? Oh, she got that one. Um, you, ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness, 
in the earth. And so this is not a unique word to the Bible. Whether this star is a large meteor, an actual star, or a chemical weapon of nuclear warfare cannot be specified. But whatever it is, uh, wormwood will poison one-third of the earth's freshwater, causing much death. So you can't go to the sea, and you can't go to the fresh water. Number four, the fourth trumpet. The fourth trumpet. Chapter number 8, verse 12 through 13. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and light likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. Very interesting. A third part of the sun was smitten, a third part of the moon was smitten, and a third part of the stars were smitten. Uh, The fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten. At the fourth trumpet, the light of the sky was reduced by one-third. So you think about that for a moment. Now they're facing darkness more. We're facing darkness more on the earth. So, so the sea is, is, is now with blood. The fresh water is now bitter. Uh, vegetation, one third of the vegetation has been cut off from the earth. And now, on top of all of that, a third of your light during the day has, is gone. And a third of your light from the moon is gone. And a third part of the stars are gone. Now, What's interesting to me about this, and I'm not a science guru by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know that because of the way the sun and the moon and everything rotates around, it keeps everything in order. I believe, based upon this passage of scripture that we're seeing right now, that the world is going to become no longer in order. Because the sun is going to be cut off, the moon is going to be cut off, and a third part of the stars are going to be cut off. And I begin to think, why did God cut off the stars? Because the stars are just the stars, right? They're just something magnificent to look at. For you and I it is. But there are people who are stargazers who believe that they can tell what's happening by the stars. And God wants people to know that, listen, these stars are not in control. The sun is not in control. The moon is not in control. I am in control. God is in control. And so I believe now with the, with the whole chaos uh, of the vegetation and the chaos of the water and, and the chaos uh, of all those things, now our earth, <coughs> pardon me, now our earth is experiencing Our earth is experiencing chaos. So, uh, uh, this is um, reminiscent again of the book of Exodus in chapter number 10. uh, The ninth plague that Israel, uh, or or, excuse me, that uh, King Pharaoh faced is uh, found in Exodus chapter number 10. And the angel of the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Now this is important, because this darkness was short-lived. It was only lived for three days um, here in the book of Exodus. Well, we're going to find out 
Uh, and, and again, in verse number 23, they saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. I know what I was going to say. How many of you, uh, you weren't there when it happened, but my wife was in Arizona. How many of you remember seeing all that on the news where, where literally all of Arizona went black? It was about three or four years ago. You remember that? It, it, they, they literally, the whole city or, or whole uh, state, it, it all went black. And I remember my wife was there. Uh, she was visiting her family because that's where they live. And I remember her calling me, and she was very upset. I mean, the first few hours was no big deal. But when they started talking about it, it was going to be for days. And I think it was like five days that they were completely blacked out there in Arizona. And uh, I remember her calling me one day, and I'll, I'll never forget this. She called me on the phone, and I said, hello. And on the other end of the phone, it was, I, I want to come home, <laughs> you know. And this your wife calling. Of course, it rips your heart out, you know. And uh, I wanted to just start driving, but that's a really long drive. Um, and I said, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. And I remember her telling me about the chaos. She said, this is what's chaotic. She said, it's not that people are out being chaotic. She said, you feel like you can't leave your house. You feel like that you're literally like in jail, like the, uh, the four walls of your house are just going to fall in on you. Because, you know, we're so accustomed to life with electricity. And so, you know, there's no TV. Uh, there's, no, uh, there's no radio. There's, no, there's nothing. I mean, it's just dead silence. If you haven't figured out how to play Monopoly, you're going to be in trouble. And she said that it was just fear. And this is an interesting passage of scripture from Exodus chapter number 10. It said, and they saw not one another. Neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel. Did you see that? All the children of Israel had light. They had the light. The judgment is only temporary, though, because the fourth bold judgment, this idea of the third part of the sun uh, uh, being cut off, the fourth bold judgment will reverse it and the sun's light will greatly intensify. If you want to see that, that's in Revelation chapter number 16. So just as darkness was temporary uh, for um, Pharaoh, it will also be temporary for this judgment. Revelation 8.13 says, A messenger flies through heaven proclaiming, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. This is, there is a disagreement as to whether the Greek word translated angel should instead be eagle. Um, and that's a transliteration uh, from the Greek. But either way, this is a remarkable messenger who will announce three woes. Now, you think about this. We, we just experienced a, a third of all of these things being cut off. And now an angel or an eagle appears and begins to say, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And the reason that, that he's saying that is because of the judgments that are still yet to come. In other words... This is just a little bit of what's to come. And I tell you, this, this should, as Christians, this should motivate us more than anything. Because certainly, I don't know about you, but I would not want anybody that I know to have to go through this. It's terrible. It's horrible. So he will announce the three woes. Oops. Apparently the coming judgments are going to be so severe the terrors of them demand prior warnings, perhaps so those on the verge of repentance will seek God's face. The first four trumpet judgments were merely preliminary, for much worse judgments are about to come. Number five, the fifth judgment. The fifth judgment. Now, this is a long passage of Scripture, but we're going to read all of it. 
We're going to look at chapter number 9, starting in verse number 1, and we're going to read all the way down to verse number 12. Remember, the angel said, whoa, how many times? Three. Three times, okay? This is the first woe right here, is the next trumpet judgment, the fifth trumpet judgment. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the what? Bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Who are the ones that had the seal of God in their foreheads? The 144,000, that's correct. Not those that are saved during the tribulation. You understand that, right? The ones that are saved during the tribulation do not have the seal of God. The only people that have the seal of God are the 144,000. So those that are in the tribulation, that have been saved, that have yet to die, are still going to experience this. It is not a time that you want to be a Christian, I can tell you that. Does everybody understand that? It is just the 144,000 that God sealed. He did not seal anybody else. No, it's not a physical seal. It's, remember, God sealed the 144,000 in, in uh, chapter number 7. And no, you will not be able to look upon them. But it, just like we're sealed, well, you can't see my salvation. Does that make sense? But I'm sealed. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, good. Um, it's the same type of seal. And we said that it had, they, they were sealed of God because it was a seal. It's not a mark. Remember, those that are in the tribulation that are rejecting Christ, they're receiving the mark of the beast. Two, two totally different things, all right? All right, um, let's see here, where was I? Verse number five. Um, and to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die and death shall flee them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. And one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Wow. Wow. Just the description of that is just amazing. When I was growing up, I lived on 10 acres. And we had a veg, uh, a, a two, about a two-acre uh, vegetable garden. And every summer, uh, we would go out, and uh, Dad, would, Dad and all of us would plant. And uh, right after we got done planting, we had a ritual. That's a terrible word. Uh, we had a tradition. There's the word I'm looking for. We had a tradition, not a ritual. <laughs> wow. Uh, 
Sorry, it's been a long day. I apologize. Uh, uh, we had a tradition that where, where we cut out the garden, right next to it was all woods. Uh, but the gra- and the grass would grow up really high. And my brother and I, we would take off running from the garden to the woods. And the reason that we did that is because right there, it was like they were, the locusts were hovering over the garden, just waiting for it to grow. And we would take off through the woods, and those locusts, I mean, they would just scatter everywhere. And you would hear them, and it was, it was the most, I don't even know how to describe the sound. It was the most amazing sound to listen to them just all take off at one time. And my brother and I, we'd laugh about it, and we'd have a good time. Some of you are going, you're weird. Um, but it was a lot of fun as a kid. And uh, we would just run through those. And we'd do that, I mean, all the time we'd run through there and watch those locusts just scatter everywhere. And, uh, but I cannot imagine as I read this passage of Scripture thinking about how large of, an, of a literal beast, if I could use that term, these locusts that have scorpion. Anybody ever been bit by a scorpion? Anybody? A couple of you? I've been bit by a scorpion. Let me tell you something. It is no fun. Uh, it is no fun at all. Uh, and it, it's just, I just can't imagine. And the Bible says that it will inflict pain like a scorpion. And it will be so bad that men will be trying to kill themselves and they cannot. Men will be trying to seek death and death will go away from them. It's just torture. What is the application? Because you realize and I know I'm about to be very graphic, but I want you to just listen to me because I'm not, it's, it's in the Word of God. I'm not taking anything out of it. But this is literally a picture of the bottomless pit. People will be tortured in the bottomless pit of hell, those that have rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they will literally be seeking to die and they will not be able to. Do you understand that? Do you understand eternity for a lost person? Many people, I, I, I've heard entertainers and I've heard other people unfortunately talk about, oh, we're just going to have a party in hell. That's the most blasphemous thing I've ever heard in my life. It's definitely not going to be a party. It's going to be a place that you wish that you could die, but you're not going to be able to. As the fifth trumpet sounds, John sees a star. The Greek indicates that it had fallen from heaven, the star had fallen from heaven. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. This is important that we understand the Greek here. uh, Because John sees a star. And the Greek, if you translate it, it indicates that the star had fallen from heaven. Fallen from heaven. The star obviously has great authority in order to be able to open the bottomless pit. He is also described as a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. Thus, the star must be Satan himself. Must be Satan himself. The Greek word translated bottomless pit, the word is abyss, which means darkness. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 31, when Jesus met uh, the Gerardine demoniac, excuse me, the demons in him cried out to Jesus that he would command them to go into the deep. The word translated deep in the Greek is the same word that we find here, the word abyss. Jude 6 tells us why fallen angels are kept in abyss or in darkness. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Um, Do you see this? This is important to note. And the angels which kept not their first, what's the next word? Estate. What was the angels' first estate? Heaven. 
heaven. That's right. God never intended, and I want to be very careful here because I know that God knows everything, and so I don't want to limit that. But do you realize that God never intended for hell to exist? And when Satan rose up because of his pride and and tried to be above God, that when hell was actually uh, created, if I could use that term, it was only created for the enemy and for his fallen demons. Hell was never intended for people. But because people reject Christ, There's no choice because it's only through the blood that we can get to heaven. And so the angels was kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains. This is the abyss under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Abyss is evidently a prison from which there is no release except by divine permission. I want you to understand something, and I, I, I think this is something that we do not understand. And I want to be very clear about this, and this, this may make some of you a little bit upset, but this is the honest truth. And I know you've probably heard it before, but this is the truth. Nothing can happen to us without God approving it. Nothing can happen to us that is the enemy induced without God approving it. So, if you say, where's the, where's the proof in all that? Read the book of Job. You see, everything that happened to Job, Satan had to go to God. He had to get the approval. And the way that Satan does that is by literally testing God and saying, Hey, Job, he, there's no way that he'll reject. Or, or, God said, There's no way Job will reject me. And Satan said, Well, if you let me do this to him, I'm sure, certain that he'll reject you. And God says, Go ahead and do it. Approval. We, we oftentimes want to say, Where was God in this catastrophe? Where was God whenever somebody told me I had cancer? Where was God whenever this tragedy happened in my life? Can I tell you something right now? It's very important that you understand. God was right there. And not only was he there, he approved it. Now, I know that's hard. I get it. But I promise you that God always knows best. God always knows best. I was talking to someone the other day on the phone. I was counseling them. And uh, the other end of the line, just lots of tears and lots of crying because they had lost someone that was very close to them in death. And as I began to talk, a thought came to my mind, and I, I, I believe this was from God. In our mind, this person that they lost, their life this is what we often say, their life was cut short. But this is what I think. I think that many times when God takes someone that we think God took them short, I think God knows what's best and is preventing them from going through something else that could be even worse in their lives. You see, we cannot unveil the future because if we could all of us would probably find some other route to go because the future is so unknown we can't unfold the future only God can see the future and what we have to do is we have to trust God with everything in our lives including the tragedies that come into our lives 
So you see, there is no release from this abyss except by divine permission. When the pit was opened, smoke saturated the sky as, through, as though the door of a huge furnace had been opened. This would be consistent with Jesus' comparison of hell to a furnace of fire in Matthew chapter 13. He says the same uh, words in verse 42 and verse number 50. You can read them both here. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's very consistent. Coming out with the smoke is an army of demons compared to locusts, which is similar to the eighth plague in Exodus chapter number 10. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast, and they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto the, uh, you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. And they shall fill thy houses and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. These creatures in Revelation are not to be literally interpreted as locusts, and, and that's what I want you to see. Nor symbolically, but they are to be interpreted rather spiritually. Spiritually is the word. Because they are spiritual creatures. They're demons. They're spiritual creatures. Revelation chapter 9, verses 3 and 5, we see what power is given to them. We see in verse 3, And there uh, came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given the power as of the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing nor either tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their forehead. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they shall be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. It is interesting, as we have been comparing this with the plagues of Egypt, that we see a parallel with the sealed ones in Revelation and God's people in Exodus. Exodus chapter number 8, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, this is before the plagues, and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground wherein they are. And I will uh, sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell. Look, that no swarms of flies shall be there to the end. Thou may knowest that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Do you remember in Revelation, the Bible says that, you are, that they are to torment everyone except for the ones that are sealed. And here, God says, I'm going to torment all of Egypt except where my people are in the land of Goshen. And in every plague, you'll see that the, that the Israelites were not a part of the plagues, only the Egyptians. And I'll put a division, look what he says, between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. Chapter number 10. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days. They saw not one another. We read this a moment ago. Neither rose any from this place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. See, God always spares his people. 
And reading the description of these creatures in Revelation chapter 9, which is obviously symbolic, one cannot help but see these are demonic beings that will be part of a horrible great tribulation to come. In chapter 9 and verse number 11, we find that the king of the bottomless pit had two names, Abaddon, which means destruction in the Hebrew, and Apollyon, which means destroyer in the Greek. This reminds us of his description in John chapter 10 and verse number 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that is Satan himself. This reveals the true character of the evil one. He desires to destroy the human race, God's crown of creation. Revelation 9, 12 says, One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes hereafter. After the fifth trumpet, the first woe has prevailed on earth five months. And what a woeful experience. How could the next two woes be worse? Well, we'll see next week. Any questions? Any thoughts? I don't know about you, but this should make us all say, whoa. Right? It's pretty serious. You know, many times we want to look at the book of Revelation and we want to study it because it's so intriguing. But the truth of the matter is, is as much as intriguing as it is, it should be motivating. It should be motivating because the time is at hand. The time is at hand. And we need to be busy doing the things of God. Well, let me remind you of a couple of things and we're going to be gone. Um, don't forget that uh, our Super Bowl of Friends Sunday is coming. And uh, we're excited about that day. We're excited about what God's going to do. And so there are cards out there. You take them. And uh, you uh, hand them out, and that'll be a, a wonderful uh, tool for you. Uh, everyone can wear their favorite sports uh, jersey, and we'll have a great time. But I can promise you one thing, that when the day culminates at about 11.25 on that day, the gospel is going to be given in the clearest form possible, because that is why we do what we do. We're going to have fun, we're going to enjoy ourselves, and we're going to invite a lot of people but in the end, the ultimate thing and the ultimate reason that we do it is to draw people to Jesus Christ. And so this is what I want you to do if you'll help me, uh, because we're only about a week and a half away, is that if you will begin to pray right now that God will begin to work in the lives of the people that will come into this place. And if they have a need for salvation, that their lives will be changed forever. Because I don't know about you, but I know with all my heart that there are people right in our own neighborhoods that are lost and dying and going to hell. And they need the truth of Jesus Christ. And uh, I don't know about you, but I want to give it to them. I want to tell them that all the world may know that I am the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for our time. Thank you for everyone that's been here, that, that's came out tonight. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Lord, thank you that we can study it and learn more about you. Lord, I pray that you'll give us a great rest of the week. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you one other thing. Uh, Sunday morning after church, uh, there's a possibility. It just depends on how far we get. Um, but I, if it's not done, it'll need to be done. Um, if you will bring, um, and I'll put out a phone tree, but bring an extra pair of clothes with you if you're willing to stay and help us after church on Sunday morning. Uh, we have 1,300 almost uh, odd square foot up there um, that we have to putty uh, with wood putty. And uh, so if you are so inclined to just have a putty party with me, not a pity party, but a putty party with me, uh, then uh, we'll do that. And it won't take very long if there's a lot of us. And uh, 
uh, it'll, be a lot, it'll be fun, actually. Uh, we'll be puttying around. And uh, we'll have a good time. Because on Monday, we're going to sand it. And then on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're going to seal it and stain it, or stain it and seal it. And uh, Lord willing, by next, the following Sunday, the 7th, uh, you will see the finished product. That is our goal. And uh, so we're excited about that. All right? Have a great week. We'll see you on Sunday. God bless you.